when my kids walked in uh, this morning, I was shocked a little bit. Um, I don't think I've ever seen Levi dressed up so much. Um, but he said, we told them last night that they had to come up front, and apparently he wanted to outdress me today. So, um, Hey, just real quick, um, you know, what, what we were able to experience in worship this morning takes a lot of time and effort, and uh, a huge thanks to the choir um, and to the sound team back there for coming to practices, uh, but even a bigger thanks to Brian um, for the time that he puts in. And so it doesn't just start in November. I know that Brian's already thinking and praying about what to do and... Um, I catch glimpses of their practices as uh, we're finishing up Awana on Sunday nights, and it, it's a lot of work, so we're grateful for the ministry that uh, the choir had to us this morning in worship. Uh, let's pray and ask God to bless our time. Father, again, we come before you, and we're grateful, because certainly the gift does go on. Uh, these seasons that... Uh, often seem familiar to us are great reminders of the great love that you have shown us through the gift of your son, Jesus. And so, Father, this morning, as we consider just for a few moments what it means to, um, to have joy, a joy not in circumstances, but joy in the, the knowledge of knowing who Jesus is. Father, we pray that your spirit would guide our hearts. Father, I pray for every person here, we're all going through different um, seasons of life, um, and, and some are more um, joyful than others. And I just pray, Father, that your spirit would encourage every heart this morning. Father, I pray that you would help us to see um, your face and, and, the, and the glory that you have given us through the gift of your Son, and that your presence would be close to us, and Father, that we would we would be worshipful this season, no matter what, knowing that you are for us and that you are faithful to the very end. And so be glorified in our midst now, and we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. In 1843, Charles Dickens penned his famous story of Ebenezer Scrooge as he learned, as Scrooge learned to embody the Christmas spirit of kindness generosity, and compassion. Dickens illustrates that the change is nothing short of amazing as Scrooge is known for his miserly behavior. His catchphrase, say it with me, bah humbug. We have any bah humburgers in our congregation this morning? Maybe some of you are getting a nudge right now. But maybe for some of you this morning, you're struggling to find much good with Christmas this year. As much as Christmas can be an amazing and wonderful season, at different times, in different years, it can also be a very difficult season. The last few weeks, we've been looking together through the scriptures, considering some of the good things that God gives us as we consider the gift of Jesus at Christmas. Two weeks ago, we considered the hope that God gives and how our hope is rooted 
in Jesus, not just coming in his first advent, but in the promise of his hope in the second advent as he is yet to come. Jesus was born according to God's promise, and he will return according to his promises. Last week, we considered the gift of love. God's love and the gift of His Son, Jesus. And that to us, as His followers, Jesus becomes the ultimate model of selfless, humble love as He left heaven to come and redeem us. This morning, we're going to consider another gift that God gives us as we uh, consider the, the joy of Christmas, and it is just that, joy. It's the opposite of Scrooge's oft-quoted phrase. It's been interesting to note the last few weeks as we've been driving around in the evenings and the Christmas lights come on and we see the decorations, just how often you find decorations that just have the simple letters J-O-Y. Joy is a much-needed promise in a world that is broken by sin. But I think at times we often misunderstand what joy is, true joy. Often we confuse real joy with happiness. Happiness is often related to our circumstances. Whether it's been a good day or a not so good day. And we can often confuse how we feel with the knowledge of what we know is true. Biblical joy is not affected by circumstances. It's not affected by our feelings. Biblical joy is far different because joy is a settled state that is rooted not in circumstances, but in a person. And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a settled resolve. It's a contentment. It's an understanding that no matter that the foundations of the earth quake, the sovereign Lord who came to rescue us is firmly on the throne. And he holds our lives in his hands. And there, there is nothing that can separate us from his love. And because he is for us, nobody be against us. And that he is faithful, faithful to the very end. This is why we read in Philippians 4.4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, again, I say rejoice. Our ability to rejoice, to show great joy and delight is because it is fixed on the person of Jesus who is always and forever the great God and Savior who loves us incredibly and who has fixed our future as a result of the work of His cross. I don't know if you know that or really can understand that or comprehend it. I don't know if I can in in, in the way that I appreciate it, but everything that God says is for us 
in the future is already settled right now. It's not going to change. The circumstances of the world can't change it. And my fickle, sinful heart can't change it. The sure love of God through the gift of His Son and the promise that He will always hold us in His hands will not change one little speck of what is yet to come in the future. One of the great joys that we see in the Christmas story is that Christ came in the dark of night. As light shining in the darkness, Jesus came to bring salvation to the world. Shepherds and angels rejoiced at His appearing. This morning, I just want to take a few moments and consider the joy that God gives through the promise of His Son. But we're going to turn our attention to a passage that you might not initially associate with Christmas. In fact, I'll be honest with you, it has nothing to do with Christmas. But it is a passage full of great joy. It's found in Isaiah 35. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, we're going to look at it in a a moment. This passage that we're going to read together draws our attention to the joy that God promises those who love Him. It's the promise of a future that is settled no matter the circumstances. And so let me read these verses for you. I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's only 10 verses long, so it'll be all right. This is what we read in Isaiah 35. The wilderness and the desert will be glad, and the Arabah will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will blossom profusely and rejoice with rejoicing and shout of joy. The glory of Lebanon will be, will be given to it, and the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. Say to those with anxious heart, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but he will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the death will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. For waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the Arabah. The scorched land will become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water and the haunt of jackals its resting place. Grass becomes reeds and rushes. A highway will be there, a roadway, and it will be called the highway of holiness. The the unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for them. For him who walks that way and fools will not wander on it. No lion will be there, nor will be any vicious beast go up on it. These will not be found there, but the redeemed will walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion, with everlasting joy upon their heads. They will find gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. If you were to write one word over this chapter, it would certainly be joy. It's oft repeated because it is the 
obvious response of the promises of God being fulfilled on behalf of his people. Now, I just want to take a minute and look at the context. Chapter 35 comes right after chapter 34. Isn't that a surprising? But in chapter 34, if you were to look at it, chapter 34 is a chapter of desolation. It really is. This is a period that Isaiah the prophet is writing on behalf of the nation of Israel where Israel is being judged and then God is judging the nations that have brought trouble to Israel. And the area of Israel is laid to waste. It is totally raised to the ground. Now, if you were to go to the Middle East right now, you would find that most of Israel and most of the Middle East is arid and dry, and it is often a difficult place to see um, growth and life. I mean, they have to work hard to water things because it's mostly a desert. But within that backdrop of judgment coming At the end of time, where God is bringing an end to sin and judgment, he is really bringing all the nations that for all of these years have spoken against him, spoken against his people, have made a problem and an issue for the people of God, Israel. He is bringing it all to an end, and he is reckoning his justice. In chapter 34 is a bleak picture. Now, it's a picture that Israel was already starting to see in their history because Isaiah was a prophet that was called to bring a warning that if they do not change their hearts back to the Lord, they would be taken away in captivity. And so if Isaiah 34 was the last chapter of Isaiah's ministry, it would be a bleak end. There's no hope. There certainly is no joy. But God in the midst of bringing judgment also brings a message of hope and joy. The hope that he is working. The hope that he is bringing all things that are troublesome and problematic for Israel, whether it's the nations and how they relate to them, or more importantly, how he is dealing with sin and bringing it to an end finally, that gives great joy in the hearts of those who know him. Now, one of the dangers in looking at a passage like this in Isaiah 35 is that we can spiritualize it too much and misappropriate the context to our our current circumstances. But what I'd like to say to you as we see this passage together is that God is certainly keeping his promises. And that in the midst of a time of great peril for Israel, God is promising to restore. And as such, there will be no bah humbuggers at the end of time. There's not going to be anyone that is going to stand before the Lord as he returns to bring restoration. That will say, this isn't great. You should have done this, God. Or why didn't you work in this way? There will only be a people who can rejoice in what the Lord has done. And for us as believers in the age of the church, we can take great comfort and rejoice in our covenant-keeping God. And that's what's great about Christmas for us, right? We can look back into the Christmas story and we can see that God kept His promise to send us His Son. 
And it it becomes an anchor point for us because as we look forward, we know that there are promises still yet to come. And we can hold on to the story of a baby born in a manger and know God did it once. He will certainly do it again. And we find our hope that produces joy, not in the circumstances of a world that is broken, but in the Lord who keeps His promises. And so I pray we find great comfort in the fulfilled promise of a Savior who has been born. It's the same promises as we read in Isaiah 7 and in Isaiah 9. The same prophet that wrote these words in 35 took us back and said that a virgin will have a, a baby and he will be called Mighty Counselor, Prince of Peace, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. I mean, we, we, we're drawn back to what Christ has done so that we can look forward to what he will continue to do. And one of those things is he will bring restoration to his people Israel. Isaiah clues us into that. And I'm just, I'm just going to walk through quickly this passage. The wilderness and the desert will be glad. The Arabah will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will blossom profusely. So creation is going to rejoice. Do you see that? Creation is rejoicing at the appearance of God who is bringing all things to an end. Right now, the creation at its best is only a glimmer of what it will truly be. When the Lord restores the earth, when he returns, and the creation will sing its praises. And so what does Isaiah say to do with that? Because the creation is going to see the glory of the Lord and the majesty of our God. And what's interesting is when, when Isaiah says that the, the glory of the Lord will be present. It's the same Isaiah who in Isaiah 6 was caught up into the throne room of God and saw the glory of the Lord. And he was like, I am an unclean man. I don't belong here. But in the future, the glory of God isn't going to rest in the high and holy place in heaven. The glory of God is going to rest on his creation. And as the glory of God rests in creation... What does Isaiah say in verses 3 and 4? A message that every believer needs to take to heart. He says this, Encourage the exhausted. Strengthen the feeble. Say to those with an anxious heart, Take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. How many of you need encouragement this morning? How many of you feel weak? And overwhelmed with the circumstances of life, right? Because everything in chapter 34, by the circumstances of what Israel is facing, is saying there's no hope. And yet God is speaking into it. And he says, as I come to you to bring all things back together again, encourage those who are afraid. Give strength to the weak. Encourage the exhausted. Why? Because God's returning to bring it all together. You might say, Pastor, it doesn't seem very Christmassy to preach a message that God will come with a vengeance. The recompense of God will come. It doesn't seem very, hey, Merry Christmas. God is coming with justice. He's going to judge sinners. But that's the gospel. The good news 
for those that believe in Jesus, is that God has already done away with his wrath for us who are sinners because his son is the righteous payment for all of our sins. But for those who are left that do not believe, justice is coming. Vengeance is coming. And we leave it in God's hands who will bring all things to a rightful end. What does he say at the end of that in verse 4? Judgment's coming, but he will save you. Now, this is a promise to Israel. Israel needs to be reminded that in the midst of the trouble that's going to be in the great tribulation that culminates with the Lord's return to bring a restoration to all things, that Israel will be brought into Messiah's kingdom, the Messiah that they've been hoping in. But really, even for us today, a great hope that God has saved us. We read in verses 5 and 6, The eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. That happened in a, in a minor way already. It happened when Jesus was ministering on the earth. In fact, he draws us, our attention to this in Matthew chapter 11. In Matthew 11, verse 1, we read, When Jesus had finished giving instructions to his twelve disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John, John the Baptist, was imprisoned, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? And Jesus answered and said to him, Go and report to John what you hear and see. So John's in jail. He, he wants to know, Are you the, the Messiah we've been longing for? Jesus says, now I want you to go to him, visit him in prison, and I want you to say these things. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, leopards are, or lepers, not leopards, lepers are cleansed, we'll edit that out of the video, and the deaf will hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who does not take offense at me. That sounds a lot like what Isaiah was promising in, in chapter 35. And when Messiah returns at the end of time, there is no sickness. There is no illness. There's nothing that came as a result of sin. Because Jesus is present. And he gives hope to us. Creation continues to respond as water fills the Middle East. And then something interesting happens in verse 8. A highway will be there, a roadway, and it will be called the highway of holiness. When Jesus returns in his second coming and sets up his kingdom, he will settle in Jerusalem. And there will be a road that cuts right through the Middle East that leads right to him. I I can't say exactly where it's going to be, but it's the highway of holiness. It is far different than what ACDC said was the highway to hell, right? We laugh and joke about that, but in the time when Jesus returns, there is a highway of holiness that leads right to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this highway will be safe. 
Isaiah says that there's no lions or jackals or any, any unclean people that will be on it. It is a road that leads right to the Savior. And who will be on it? The ransomed ones. The ones that the Lord has purchased. And they will find their way to the Lord Jesus Christ to worship Him and to serve Him. And he wraps it all up by saying in verse 10, They will have everlasting joy upon their heads. They will find gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Church, let me just end with this. Christmas reminds us that sorrow and sighing will flee away. There will be no more tears. There will be no more struggle. There will only be the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. He came once and he did a great work so that when he comes again, we who believe in him can be with him forever. Now I need to just take a second because I would not be doing my job if I didn't say these things next. It is quite possible that there are some people here that don't really know that. You've heard about Jesus. You know Christmas comes every year. But maybe you really don't know Jesus and what he has done for you. There is no greater gift that you will ever receive in life than have a great God and Savior come and pay for your sins. Next Sunday, when you give and receive gifts, nothing will pale, or everything will pale in comparison to that great gift of Jesus. And so I, I implore you, I encourage you, I exhort you, I beg you, I don't know what else to say, whatever adjective I could add to it. If you don't know who Jesus is, what is holding you back? Is it yourself? Are you afraid that God can't love a person like you, that you've done too much, that he couldn't love you? Well, the cross of Jesus Christ settles that for all of us. Because it is the great reminder that there is nothing that we can do that can, that can hinder the gift of his love. Because his payment on the cross, his blood spilled for us was for every person and for all sin that would ever be committed. And he invites us to believe by faith in what he has done. And by that faith action... His blood is applied to our account so that we are now forgiven and made right in God's eyes. You can't outweigh the bad with doing more good. There is not enough good we can do. There is only one that has done it all, and his name is Jesus. And he loves you. And he's inviting you to trust him, to walk with him, to have a relationship with him. And it begins 
by confessing that you are a sinner, and you know that. I don't think I need to tell you that you're a sinner. If you just go through the catalog of your mind over the last week, you know you have done things that are wrong. You've thought thoughts that are wrong. But by confessing that you are a sinner, you are also acknowledging that there is a Savior that has taken your place. And in faith, you believe in Him. And what He has done on the cross is applied to you. And you are made righteous as God's child. And as you turn to God in faith, you're turning away from your old life. Everything that was broken. And saying, yes, Lord, I know that I've broken your law. I've sinned against you and you alone. But now in faith, I turn towards you, Jesus. And I believe in you. And at the moment that you do that, God saves you. He doesn't wait to save you later. He does, it doesn't come at another time or you have to go to church every Sunday or you have to read the Bible and then it happens. It happens at the moment that you believe in faith. And I can't think of any greater gift for all of you than to know who Jesus Christ is. It will change your life. And it will produce joy that lasts forever.